Welcome to the podcast, guys. And in this episode, I'm sitting down with Michael Johnson, aka Mojo Master, as you'll hear within it. But this man is a, a high performance coach. He works with a range of different clients and he really focuses on how to really help people break through, get through limiting beliefs, overcome challenges, and really get the just help people kick ass in his words. So he, this man is really has a lot of information and he can go really, really deep. The information that you are going to hear can go, might throw off a little bit. So I encourage you to come in with an open mind, but this man has a lot of value to add. So please go check him out after you finish it, but strap in and enjoy guys. This one is a banger. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. I'm with Mr. Michael Johnson, Mojo Master. I'm actually down in Adelaide at your event, mate. And uh, thank you for having me. Uh, this is day too and mate the knowledge that you've shared with me in the last 20, uh, 48 hours has been amazing Thank so you. Um, mate but this this I, I have a uh, I have a fear and a pleasure that we like to talk both of us and this might go a bit longer than we normally do but mm-hmm. I want to before we get into a couple things I'd like to talk about I'd love you just to introduce to people that don't know who you are from my audience who are you and uh, how do you get to become the mojo master okay um I help people to kick ass in life it's really that simple. Um, I love working with people who are ambitious and driven and um, you know have a reason to be here on this earth and know that they're here to do something great and are prepared to work for it. Um, and I just keep them sane and give them the tools and the capabilities to be able to keep kicking ass in life. Um, that's really what I do. Uh, how I got into it, um, I'll try and cut a long story short, but really the crux of it is I had a couple of life experiences when I was young. Um, I was suicidal when I was 15. I got expelled from school and, you know, I wasn't sure whether life needed to end or life needed to change. And I had a lot of pressure about doing well at school and I was put into special classes and, um, you know, potentially dyslexic that would have been thrown around a little bit and, um, uh, ADD and all those things. Um, and when I got expelled from school, I thought I'm a piece of shit. I'm not going to go anywhere in life. And, um, then one night I just thought that's it. Life either has to end or life has to change. And I realized that I wasn't going to make anyone else happy. So I just thought, fuck it, I'm just going to do my own thing. And um, from there, I ended up going back to school, uh, finished off grade 12. And I think like most people, you just get thrown out into the world and you go, I don't know what I want to do with myself. But I love figuring out how things work. Um, I always have. I've always been very um, driven to try and understand things. And um, I thought I would become a diesel mechanic because I love working with cars. Um, I got brought up around cars. I used to be part of a, a rally team and I used to ride motorbikes and things like that. So I just thought, you know what, that seems to be a bit of a natural progression of learning how things work in the mining industry. And when I got in there, I just found that there were so many people who were making good money, but they were absolutely miserable. Um, and that started shattering one of the first myths that I had was that you needed to have you needed to get a good education to get a job, but then you needed a, a good job in order to make good money and the money was going to make people happy. And it was the start of the mining boom and I started watching guys going up to the mines and they were coming home more depressed. Um, you know, they would, they would complain all the time about how crap their wife or their partner was, how crap their kids were, you know, and there was just all this whining and complaining all the time and I thought, I just don't want to be part of this. And it took me back to that dark place when I was young or younger, and um, over time, I just started seeing depression rates grow and um, there were some challenges that I had in that workforce as well. Um, and to cut a long story short again, I was, um, I was there one day and I thought, you know, I'm going to see what else is out in the world. And I was flicking through the newspaper one day and I saw this little ad, become a personal trainer. And I thought, oh, all right, I might give this a shot. But then at the same time, I was scared and I was afraid because I thought I've got to go back to school. I'm not good at school. Um, 
you know, I don't know how to study. I don't know how to learn. I've got these things like learning difficulties and, and so on. And so I sort of, it was trying to shatter my own paradigm I had about who I was as a person. Um, and anyway, I thought, you know what, stuff, I'm going to give it a go. So I went back to night school. So I worked probably from 6 a.m. to about 6 o'clock at night, and then I would go home, have a shower, and then go to night school. And back then, to become a personal trainer was around 18 months. So um, when I started studying, I found that I loved it. And when I would get given the textbooks, I would sit there and read the textbooks in a week and pretty much know the whole course curriculum for the next three months. And then I'd go off and study other bits and pieces because I was just driven to learn. Now, I did that for a little while. And then um, one day the boss called me into the office. Uh, sorry, one day I got a phone call from my best mate at the time. And he'd been uh, in a car accident. Um, and he told me that his three-year-old niece was killed in that car accident and he was in the passenger seat. And I remember going to the hospital and just thinking, how can, well, first I was shocked, but I just remember thinking, how can life just be taken away just like that? You know, we're here one day and we're gone the next. And she didn't have a choice of when she, you know, left this earth. And um, I just thought, who do, who, how do I want to be remembered when I'm not here? Sorry. <coughs> um, how do I want to be remembered when I'm not here? Um, what are my unique gifts? You know, what am I here to do in the world? Um, who am I as a person? And I brought up all these questions like, who am I? What am I here to do? How do I want to be remembered when I'm not here? And I think at some point, everyone goes through those questions or asks those questions. But at, at around about the age of 19 to 20, that was, you know, it was pretty huge for me. And as time went on anyway, you know, it opened up those thoughts and those ideas. And I remember going to work and consistently thinking about those thoughts and is this really what I want to do? And I don't know if this is the thing that I want to do with my life. And I eventually got to a place where I remember the boss one day coming out and he just said to me, you know, Michael, come into the office. And I went into the office and it was the head of a major trucking corporation. I'd left um, who I was originally working with, uh, who was a they were a mining company. Um, and I went and worked for this trucking company. And he called me into the office and he said, um, you know, Michael, I've got some good news. I'm going to sign you off your apprenticeship. And it was about a year before I was supposed to be signed off. And... Um, I didn't know what to do. Like I was just shocked and I thought this is it. This is like the end of my life, but it's the start of my life as well. Like I should be happy, but at the same time I felt miserable and I felt this sinking feeling in my gut as though I didn't know what I wanted to like, I didn't know what I wanted to do. It was just, I was confused. Oh, it just, it was this weird experience. And I remember putting the certificate on my toolbox and just standing there and, and thinking, this is it. Like, this is my life. This is, this is it. Like here's the next 40 years of my life. And then I just grabbed the certificate and I walked into his office and I just put it on the desk and I said, you know, I'm out of here. And he said, what do you mean you're out of here? And I said, I can't do this. And he said, what are, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know, but it's not this. And his exact words were, Michael, don't end up like the rest of these fuckers. Go do what you love. And so I put my toolbox in the car and I drove to mum and dad's house and I took out the toolbox and mum comes out and she starts crying, you know, what are you going to do with your life? And, um, you know, if you just stick at this for 10 years, you'll be set. And I thought, if I stick at this for 10 years, I'm not going to be here anymore. Like, that's it. Like, I can't handle doing this. And, um, you know, that apprenticeship was a three and a half, a three and a bit year apprenticeship. It was a four year apprenticeship, but it was like three and a half years. Um, and anyway, yeah, I just, I thought I've, I've got to do something. So I went to the local gym and I said, give me an opportunity. Let me, let me just do, do any, I'll do anything. Like I'll clean toilets, I'll mop floors. And I was given a position of working on the front desk and I started talking to people and, 
Um, after a while, the boss came to me and said, you know, Michael, everyone knows that you're a great trainer. Um, even though I wasn't qualified, but I, I used to love training and I used to love exercising and being a kid who grew up, uh, who was chubby, who had red hair and freckles, I used to get picked on quite a lot. And the gym was a place that made me feel good about myself. So by, you know, being in the gym, it was absolutely awesome. But at the same time, I was always up there helping people, I was spotting people, I talked to them about their family, their kids and, and all those other things that were going on. And so people knew that I was good at what I did. And even though I wasn't qualified, I was still more knowledgeable than most other people in the industry. And so the boss came to me and he said, look, Michael, everyone knows that you're sort of you're, you're starting to be a PT and you're great at what you do and you help out everybody anyway and you've got a lot of the techniques and so on. If you don't tell anyone that you're not qualified, why don't you just start? And so the next day I came into work and I was a PT. And um, I started building my client list and I helped set up a franchise system and, and um, one day the boss came to me and said, we need you to go out and start educating people about how we train and why we do what we do and I was shit scared you know absolutely freaking out about standing up in front of people and you know the same nerves that most people have when they've got to stand up and present things to others but after a while I found I just loved it you know I loved teaching people I loved educating people um, and from there I just kept studying I kept learning I went and studied kinesiology I studied uh, nutrition because I was just really intrigued about how I could help people more and, and how I could help them perform better and eventually I went and worked at a couple of different gyms and I ended up working in a medical center where I ran almost like a studio down the bottom of a medical center, but we used to get a lot of referrals from the doctors and the physios. Yeah, nice. But it was a really weird place because the physios hated the chiros and the chiros hated physios and the nutritionists hated naturopaths and naturopaths hated nutritionists and the doctors in there were old school and they seemed to hate everybody. And um, not that that's all doctors, but it just seemed to be you know something that I saw there. And I worked there for about two years and I learned as much as I could, maybe two and a half, three years. I learned as much as I could. And I used to see these people coming in every day and they would have pain and physical symptoms and a lot of them weren't getting the help that they needed. And I thought, you know, I just want to go out and do my own thing. Like I don't want to be part of something where I can't do whatever it takes in order to, to help. And one day I just walked in and I said, I'm out of here. I can't do this again. You know, it was the same sort of thing. So I'd built up this reputation in the personal training industry after I think it was like seven or eight years. I'd won a couple of awards and, um, you know, I guess I was quite well known in that in the personal <clears throat> training industry and um, working with athletes and so on. But I just got to a point where I went, it's not the physical body that most people need help with. It's actually what's going on in between their ears. You know, most people know what to do. They just don't do it. So um, that led me to branch out and start running seminars around health. And then from there, I got into the mindset space and I found what I loved and that's, that's it. Now, I guess I get to travel not only around the country, but overseas as well um, and educate people how to create a mindset that really helps them to kick ass and to build the life that they want um, because we're only here for a short time. Wow, thank you so much. I got so much page notes just off that alone. If I were to go back a little bit, I would love for you to dive into something because I could. I, I hear a whole trend throughout your journey then from being a PT to the minds, wanting to help people. But you mentioned at the start you were at school and you actually got, were you in dyslexic in the learning disability classes? So they were essentially labeling you where you can't learn or had challenges around learning. Is that fair to say? Is that yeah, I was it, putting it. I remember going to this class and um, yeah, I, I remember going to this this class, and I thought the class was pretty cool, but I didn't realize at the time that I was one of the special kids. Oh, beautiful! Um, so yeah, I was put into a class with the kids who struggled with you know mathematics and English and um, things like that. So yeah, I was definitely put into that class. And the word dyslexic and um, ADD was thrown around a little bit. I guess it wasn't as well known back um, back then. I mean, I'm not that old, but um, it wasn't as 
prevalent as it, it is yeah. now, I, I guess I would have been diagnosed. And yeah, um, yeah, I would love to just hear your your because obviously I'm using a bit that we spoke about over the last two days, mm-hmm. and you spoke about how like um, voids that you had growing up then become what, what your values are yep. as well. If you could just tell, I guess, uh, just a summarized version, like what is a value, and then I like for what I can see a void of you being labeled you can't learn to now someone who doesn't stop learning it's one of your highest values and you're actually teaching people every single day do you think first or first of all answer the values things if you could just dive in like for people that are listening what is a value because my interpretation was so different to what you explained today like i used to value um like freedom or like something like that like i didn't know i didn't have any clue what what i was coming into so for people that are listening what is a value in in how the term that we use so i got put into this from a good friend of mine dr john d martini um and he sort of opened me up to the concept of values and I hadn't really done when I came across this I hadn't really done a lot of work with John um, now I guess I, I do a lot of work with him and um, his daughters are good uh, both of his daughters are good friends of mine and um, yeah I just I'd heard about this concept of values and so I started studying and looking it up but the term value is a term that's derived from both economics and metaphysics so um, metaphysics looks at the idea of values as what we value as individual people but the economic value that a person creates comes from their values. So you're valuable in our society based on your value or the value that you offer into society. Now, that doesn't come from kindness or honor and respect. It comes from stuff that you actually do. Yeah. So a value is something that's a physical, tangible thing that you're trying to achieve within your own life. And it's a filtration mechanism within your own brain as to how you filter the world based on past perceptions of something missing or a void that you're trying to fulfill Um, which then becomes a value or of value. But once you get clear on your values, your value is where your value is in society, which means that's where your financial earning capability is. It also, um, there is some studies and research of how the brain functions when you live your values. And it's very different than someone who lives outside of their values. So you get the, there's some parts of the brain like the telencephalon and the frontal lobe or um, the neocortex becomes more active, which is the more evolved part of the brain. Versus when you're living in your lower values, you become more emotionally driven. So you want things like um, you'll use escapism as a tool to deal with stressful situations and you'll try to avoid stress um, and look for things like ease and comfort, but you avoid challenges and stress and, and frustration, which is all part of growth. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of people in our society, because they live outside of their value system, um, and I was talking today about this where, you know, if you look at, and I'll just generalize, but if we just say, um, a generalization of a mum and we take some of the traits of a mum <coughs> or even women in this day and age so I hope that's not too loud I'm just recovering from uh, the flu plus two days of speaking non-stop man I yeah uh, that and, is okay and then 50 hours last week uh, speaking or the week before this man does not hours. rest ladies and gentlemen um, but um, in our society if I'll, I'll use an example as a generalization so I don't want death threats from this or hate mail or you know I'm different as a mum and so on but yes. it's just a generalization if people don't mind yep. but if we look at a, at a mum if she has a high value or her highest value is being uh, her kids then she'll want to naturally look after her kids so she'll go to the shops and she'll go to buy stuff for herself and she'll walk out with clothes and stuff for the kids yep. because her brain instinctively starts to see things for the kids to help her fulfill her highest value because that's where she feels most valuable is as a mum. Yeah. But in our society, other mums or other people come along and they might say, well, you know, the important or even people in my industry like the personal development industry or the self-growth industry or I don't even know what you'd call me these days, but 
um, you know, in the learning or the human performance industry, they'll come along and they'll say things like, well, if you're in an intimate relationship, you should value your relationship more than you value your kids because the intimate relationship made the kids. So then that mum can sit there and go, hmm, that sounds logical. Maybe I need to put my partner first. So then for a while they start putting their partner first, but at the same time when they're with their partner, they're thinking about their kids because their brain is now driven to want to fulfill the value of being a mother to their kids, but they feel guilty that they haven't got their partner first. So they try and be with their partner, but their brain keeps going back to thinking about the kids when they're with their partner. So now they feel like they're not present with their partner. So they feel guilty and stressed out and frustrated. But then when they're with their kids, they go, you know, I'm being a bad wife and or a bad partner. And I should be looking after my intimate relationship a bit more and spending more time with my partner. Then another parent or another mum comes along and says, well, if you're a mum, you, you haven't been looking after your health the best because you're prioritizing your kids. What are your kids learning? So therefore, you're, you're not setting a good example for your kids. So therefore, you need to look after your health. And that mum goes, well, that makes sense to me too. So then now she goes to the gym and she goes, well, I'm being a shit wife, but I also feel like a shit mum because I'm not at home with my kids and I really want to be at home with the kids. But at the same time, I know that my husband should be number one or my partner should be number one, but I also need to look after my health and my health should be number one and it should be my highest value. And if you listen to my languaging, I'm using the word should. And what I'm doing is I'm injecting other people's values over or overlaying their values on my values. And so when the mum's at the gym, she's now thinking that she should be at home with her kids and she's feeling guilty for not being at home with the kids. She's also feeling guilty about not um, spending enough time or quality time with her partner. Yet if she goes home and spends time with the kids, she's going to feel guilty because she's not at the gym exercising and leading by example. Then in our society, there are a whole bunch of people who come along and they say, well, if you're a woman as well in this society, in this day and age, you don't need a man to look after you. So therefore, you need to look after your finances as well. And being financially independent is really important. And then so that, that mother comes along and goes, well, you know what? I need to look after money and I need to work hard as well. And then so now she goes to work and she feels guilty because she's not at home with the kids. She's stressed out at work and frustrated all the time because when she's at work, she really wants to be at home with the kids, but then feels like she also needs to be independent and setting an example with her health. And now she's just got this whole life where her brain and her mind is mentally chaotic because no matter what she does, she set herself up to lose the game of life. And how do you... Like when you first came and I, I guess I, my first exposure to you, you mentioned similar topic around the whole conflict around values yep. and something that I've experienced as entrepreneur doing business, working hard, achieving goals is the whole family aspect of it. Cause I always grew up thinking you need to value your family. And I think you used an example of one of our, the trainers, cause he was in a similar position. Like I would always feel like I've got to value my family, but I didn't want to fucking go see them. I wouldn't want to go hang out with them. I wouldn't want to spend time with it. Mm. And then they would, um, them having the other side that they get pissed at me for not hanging out with them. But every time I do, I want to talk about business and it just keep creating that conflict. Yes. I guess my question for, if you could help others that are in a similar position where they're so drawn to do what they, what they love and what they do, but that injected values of what you mentioned before from other people, how do they deal with that? Or how do they just become conscious that it's like, for me, it was like a penny drop when you said, like um, you said, I feel bad. I've got to go hang out with my family. And the easy question said, according to who? And I was like, that's so fucking true. Like, mm. like I, I, it's my own, like it's my own inattention I'm creating. Like there's no law that says you should hang out with your family. Not to say I don't love them. I'm not trying to say that at all, but like the expectation that, that you should hang out with your family, you should spend time and then prioritize them rather than doing what you actually love. Because yeah, if you could just, I guess, shed some light on 
if you're in a situation where you have got conflict as a mum, as an entrepreneur, as someone who's like got these expectations from society that you've got to, I know, like the whole woman in power that you're, you're having a joke about before, how they've got to like, you've got to be a, a boss ass bitch and be a businesswoman, make eat some money, but look after the kids, value your health, be a good partner. But it's all those expectations coming in from around you. How do you, I guess, clear the noise and just get clear on doing what it is that it, that's you and not mm. having to listen to other people? How could you shed some light on that for us? Yeah, well, I mean, like when I have a look at people in that state, what tends to happen is they have self-destructive behaviors. Because if you can't win in life, you're going to depreciate yourself because you're not seeing your value. So your self-worth is directly affected because you only, the more you live your values that are right by you, that are, that are intrinsic to you, the greater your self-worth, the self-worth you create. Because self-worth is created from taking on challenges and obstacles within your own life that push you and force you to grow through both pressure and stress and then you overcome those challenges and at the end you go, cool, I did that. And then at the end of that you go, I just got a little bit more self-belief and a little bit more self-worth and a little bit more self-love and a little bit more self-respect and then you go, hmm, I wonder what else I can do. And then so you challenge yourself again. You're more likely to challenge yourself when you're living your values because as a business owner or an entrepreneur, you're probably more driven to take on challenges in business and you deal with financial stress different than someone else who doesn't have wealth or businesses of high value. Some people go and start businesses because they think that it's a good idea because they think that it's about making money. Yet when they get in there, they realize with the money stress, the money pressure that every business owner who I've ever met and I get to work with people who are worth hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars, they still have financial stress. Yet to the person who, who isn't an entrepreneur or doesn't have wealth as a high value, they just think that people just make money and money falls out the air and, and that's just what happens. And you know, people come up to me and they go, you're lucky because you're entrepreneurial and you, you got a business and you get to do what you want, when you want, how you want. And I go, okay, cool. You're a good parent. Like parents seem to be, or you seem to be a good parent. You're lucky you've got good kids because they must have just been born like that and you've never had to look after them and raise them. You know, obviously they're just always perfect. Bang right there. And they look after me and they, they're like, well, that's stupid. And I go, I know, but so was a comment that you just said about entrepreneurship. Yeah. The thing is that you've taken on the challenge of having kids and those kids create a lot of challenges and a lot of pressure and a lot of stress. And by learning and understanding and growing, that's what you're compelled to do. And because of that, you keep growing more as a person. Um, and that's helping you to grow your self-worth and your self-love and your self-respect and so on. The same thing happens when you have a high value on business or wealth creation or health or fitness. You take on a challenge in that area of life and you try to push yourself in order to grow that area to be the best that you can be at that thing. And that's where you create your self-worth and your self-love and your self-respect and your dignity and all those sort of things. Now, when you have other people, so you know, you're talking about if you've got a a family or a parent and your parent says you never come and see us and they start laying down the guilt trip. Yep. What they're saying is based on my values, you can't be happy within your own life because I'm happy when I'm around family and you're not around family. Therefore you can't be happy. Yeah. And so they inject their values of what they perceive makes them. And, and I know I use the term happy, but I mean, happiness normally leads to unhappiness and unhappiness leads to happiness. And it's a vicious cycle because it's an emotional state. Yeah. But the fulfillment of that person and my mum's one of those people where my mum has a high her highest values family she perceived at one point in time that I can't have been happy because I'm not around family consistently now that's her projection of her reality of life that's filtered through her brain based on her values and what she's doing is she's projecting that onto me thinking that I can't be fulfilled in what I do because family aren't around now 
then I get my dad. My dad is very creative and very creative with his hands. Um, and so he's a builder, but also builds custom cars for a hobby. Yeah, you mentioned today, like how he made a Ferrari or some some fucking thing. Oh, he built an E8 Holden with Lamborghini doors and yeah, crazy stuff. Yeah, or crazy stuff. Anyway, um, now for him, he if he gets spare time, he's out in the shed. Yeah. Now, if you said to him, like, my dad doesn't really care. He just does his own thing. <clears throat> but if he was opinionated about that, he might come over to my house and go, well, how come you don't have a shed? Well, because I don't really care. My shed would be an office, right? Mm-hmm. I'd turn into an office in a gym, and I'd park my, my cars in the in the shed, but I'd also have an office in a gym in there because that's where I want to work. Yeah. Um, and they're high values of mine. But he might filter the world through the eyes of his shed and say, well... I don't know how people can sit in an office all day because I couldn't do that. And so he might project that value onto someone else. Now, I mean, it's hard because he doesn't really care. He just does his own thing, um, which you'll find most people who are doing their own thing and are fulfilled in their own thing and aren't living by other people's values. They actually don't care what other people do. They care what they do and they try to inspire other people to do what they love, but they don't get involved in other people's lives. Normally, the reason why people get involved in other people's lives and tell you how you should live your life is because they don't know how to live their own life. Something you mentioned today, I really, I really resonated with is the people that live their values inspire more people. Is yes. that is that going along the lines of what you're mentioning now? Like 100%. people, people, you just said people that live their values do their own thing. They don't worry about other shit because they're not worried about other people's injections of how they should be, how they should spend time with family, they should be a good partner, etc. Mm-hmm. Is that along the same lines of what you're saying? Well, I guess there's a difference between an opinionated discussion and a intelligent discussion. And intelligent people, if you go to an intelligent person and you say, hey, look, um, here's a topic. How, do, how can you help me to grow on that topic? You can have an intelligent decision. But most people don't have intelligent decisions. They have opinionated discussions. Sorry, they, they don't have intelligent discussions. They have opinionated discussions. And what they'll do is because they don't understand how to live their own life, they tend to project their stuff on each other. Yeah, and they'll just okay. talk for the sake of talking and they connect through their emotional problems and all of those things. And at the end of it, they go, I feel great. But they would have felt just as good having a beer or a wine or eating a pizza. And so what you'll find is a lot of people who are like that are driven more emotionally. And when you're driven emotionally, if you're under stress and pressure all the time, you don't know how to deal with it because you're not living your values you tend to create destructive patterns of behavior, which is why a lot of people in Australia drink way too much, um, you know, use medication. I mean, the, the number one uh, medication that I understand in Australia is pain relief. Wow. Yet most people aren't diagnosed with where the pain came from. So um, when I did studies years ago when I was working in physical rehabilitation in the medical center, a lot of people say, I just woke up in the morning and I must have slept bad because my shoulder's stuffed. Now, if you think about it, a young child that's, a newborn, you can pretty much put them in a cot or, you know, my sister, when she first, when she's got two kids and I remember her saying, you know, kids bounce because like the amount of times that they drop and fall off of things and they're trip so and flexible and shit. They can, yeah. Now, how come they're not at physios and chiros and they've got chronic neck pain and all those sort of things that happens from years and years and years of, oh, I won't get into a lot of this stuff, but psychosomatic pressures um, and, and there's a lot of studies that are coming out now that are showing that depending on the chemical state that is induced from our thought processes, 
muscles will tighten and release based on that. You mentioned that today about like stress, how like people like they can necessarily not, it's not necessarily just the bad food and the lifestyle. Um, it's that person that you said, like what's the secret of living so long? Like I have a smoke every week, uh, every day or something, but it's more so like where you live emotionally from the stress you release and that can have a, a more detrimental effect on your health. Is that essentially what you're saying there? Yeah. So, I mean, some people can smoke their whole life and live to a hundred. Um, and when you ask them like, why do you smoke? And they go, cause I love it. Now that's going to create a different neurochemical response in the body on of hormonal sequencing and um, you know neuropeptides and a whole bunch of other things. And this is very controversial, which I, I guess you know I'm dropping on a podcast, which is going out to the general public, and I'm probably right. going to get some death threats from it. That's all right. But um, you know, if you get Warren Buffett, who's 86 or 87 years of age, eats McDonald's every morning for breakfast and drinks Coca Cola all day, yet he he's completely he has all of his mental faculties. He says, I skip to work every day and he loves the life that he's created because he's living his values. Yeah. The reason why he loves McDonald's and Coca-Cola is because he owns a major shareholding yeah. of McDonald's and Coca-Cola. So his highest value is wealth creation and, and buying businesses as an investor. And every morning he gets to do what he loves, which is drive through McDonald's, have a look at part of what he owns and then eat that food from that place. So it's no wonder that he's fulfilled. Now, I wouldn't suggest that that's a great diet for everyone. I mean, if I eat a McDonald's burger, I'm probably out of it for about two or three days because I just feel like shit. Um, but for him, that's fantastic because it's part of his value system. I wouldn't highly recommend it, but that's it works for him. Some people smoke their whole lives and, and they feel fantastic and they love it. But for most people, when they smoke, they go, I shouldn't be doing this. You know, I hate that I do this. And the neurochemical reactions that are happening within the body and the stress response that's happening are probably going to kill them faster than the cigarette. Yeah, wow. And same as alcohol. Some people, you know, have a drink and they go, I love this stuff. And they'll have a glass of wine and they go, oh, I just love the wine. And they enjoy the process of drinking wine. Other people become dependent on wine in order to deal with stress. That's a different neurochemical response within the body. So it depends. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but sometimes you can eat food that's not the best, healthiest food. And if you actually enjoy the food and you're with great company and you've got a high value and connection... You can eat shitty food and you won't have the same symptoms after eating the food as what you do when you're eating the food by yourself and you're trying to suppress emotional states. And you feel guilty of it. And you feel guilty and you feel stressed out and you go, I really shouldn't be eating this. And then you feel shit afterwards, I shouldn't have eaten this. You'll notice that you bloat a lot more, you'll probably be a lot more tired and a lot more lethargic. So the question that I have and part of the stuff that I went in depth to study, because I couldn't find a lot of this research, I couldn't find a lot of it, there was bits and pieces of it everywhere, is why? Why is it that I can eat a pizza with friends and family and hang out with people and I have no bloating and no physical, really physical responses? And at the end of it, I go, I had a great night. Yet sometimes I'll go, you know, I want a pizza and eat a pizza at home because I'm feeling emotional because I've had a big week and I feel like I deserve it and I'm a bit stressed out. And straight away, I start eating the food and I start bloating. I get tired, I get lethargic and I get all groggy. So it, it made me dive into exploring a little bit about the emotional and the emotional responses to how we react with food. And really, from what I've been able to gather is it, it comes down to values. It comes down to values, but it also comes down to the way that we live and why we do what we do. And it's the most important thing. And I think there was a bit of a question in there, and I, I, I could be wrong, so pull me up on it. But for that person, like that mother who it's her highest value to... Um, be a great mum why is that any less important than anything else in the world 
And that, I guess that's the question that I had for that. Oh, that's the belief I had. Obviously, not being the mother, that's not me. But the the expectation that I should spend time with family, I should be someone who uh, takes time out to see your mum and see your dad. And again, not saying that I don't have time and love for them, but I would always neglect it to them and always neglect it to do other things. Because from from today, my highest values is business, uh, generate um, ge- building wealth and um, and personal development. So I'd always prioritise coming to a course like I'm right now rather than going and hanging out with my family and I just had that guilt factor for so long until hearing your your perspective of it and I just yeah it was just really for, for that mum or for that entrepreneur out there if they're in that situation where they've got other people's values injecting up upon them like how do you I guess cut out the noise cut out all, all the crap and actually be okay just doing what it is that you do like do be 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 do what you love do do what you're great at and not listen to all the noise and shit that people are trying to put on you well look the, the question that I have is so at the end of every, or not, it's not even a question. I'm going to give a statement. At the end of today, you're a day closer to dying than what you were yesterday, right? Yep. So is today the day that you created some sort of worth in the world or in yourself, and was it worth living that way? For me, yeah. Because if it wasn't, what's stopping you from changing it? And most people go, well, one day I'm going to change. Yeah. But you just lost another another year. And that's why most people go, well, no, nah, next year will be different. No, it won't. It'll be the same thing because you've got a whole bunch of habits you keep reinforcing. You're worried about what everyone else thinks about you, but you're not worried about yourself. And, you know, some people some people say things like, um, I'll give you an example. I had a person at one of my events only recently, and they said, do you know, Michael, I just don't like confrontation. And I said, that's bullshit. You love confrontation. And they said, no, I don't like confrontation. I'll avoid it. And I said, no, you don't. You love it so much, you keep it inside so that you can wow. have it yourself. That's some deep shit there. And you should have seen her. She almost flipped backwards off the chair. I just got goosebumps you saying that. Yep. And I said, you don't, you don't avoid confrontation. You love it so much, you internalize it, and you think about it over and over and over again. Now, if you think about it in your own life, if you, don't, if you avoid confrontation, it doesn't mean that you don't get confrontation. It means that you keep the confrontation internal, and that internal thought process has the confrontation over and over and over again. So that conversation that you're putting off having that conversation's happened 50 times instead of happening once. Now, I can relate to that so much. That's probably why I'm getting the feels right now because mm. I am I'm, I'm very, I, I have been so similar to that. I'm, I'm that person that like wouldn't want to have the bullshit drama, conflict conversation, but you're having it 50 times in your head anyways. So it's worse than just having that two-minute conversation than replaying it 50 times over your head. Mm. That, that's a, that, that was a bit of a penny drop for me just there. And do you know, even in neuroscience, your brain can't tell the difference between what you think is real and what is actually you classify as reality. So that's why you can have a nightmare at night and wake up and you've got the sweats and all of that stuff because it's, it's triggering. Your thought process is tr- triggering a neurochemical response in order to create a reaction within your body. Now, that's just a thought. Now, you could, you could say, yeah, but it's different because it's, it's external, not internal. That's bullshit. Your body still thinks it's exactly the same. The, I would say almost all stress, apart from physical stress from exercise or training, um, in most cases, most people's stress is self-created. It happens inside their head. And how many times does someone perceive that, you know, the shit's going to hit the fan or that they're going to have problems with something, they stress about it and all those things, and then they get sick because of the stress, yet the thing that they thought was going to happen never even happened anyway. Yeah. So, you know, our brain really, and if you study neuroscience, I mean, just I'll give you an example. Your eyes only take in light. Now, light is just wavelengths of frequencies. So your, your eyes, the only thing that your eyes do is they take in frequencies and we'll go through this tomorrow in the event. It takes in frequencies, <coughs> and different colors have different frequencies and so on, but they take in different wavelengths of light, and we have a limited 
um, light spectrum that we can see. We can't see X-rays or uh, gamma rays and so on. We have a very small portion of the um, visual spectrum that we can see. Now, other animals see the world differently than what we see because they take in different bits of information. But even sound is just um, compressions of air, which create, I guess you could say, wavelengths or frequencies or so on. And so our ears pick that up. Now, that sends, so if we look at the eyes, that light that enters the eye sends information through the eye into the visual, uh, into the, um, I guess you could say, through the optic nerve into the thalamus. Now, the thalamus is a gating mechanism. And what it's trying to do, and this is a pretty rough um, idea, but I don't want to get into hardcore neuroscience because, you know, it's, yeah, it depends (laughs) on who's listening in and so on, so I'll try and keep it simple. But the thalamus is a gating mechanism to say, what does that mean? So when you see things, you don't actually see anything. Your eyes take in the wavelengths of light, and then it says, when it gets into the thalamus, it goes, what does that mean? And then your brain goes and explores from past experiences to piece the meaning behind what you just saw. So there's more information that's sent from the from your memory to the thalamus than what's sent from the eyes of the thalamus. So what you see in the world right now isn't so much determined by what you actually see, it's more determined by your past experiences. Now that's crazy, isn't it? It's like that it's like your your brain just got like that those like millions of references and it's like I don't know how to explain it as well as you do, but when you've um, when you've experienced something, you're not experienced that experience. You're just experienced the reference of what you've had in the past of it. Like say mm-hmm. someone treats you poorly, you've just got a reference of when that's happened in the past. Is that what you're suggesting? Yeah, well, that's why people triggered, yeah. right? Yeah, like, so, yeah, triggered. That's probably the best way to say it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so people get triggered by certain experiences, and then they go, "Well, it's because of the experience that I was triggered." Yeah. But it's not. It's based on the past interpretation of a past experience that then causes a person to be triggered. Yeah. And then the next time they see something similar or hear something similar, it triggers the old thought process which then triggers the um, neurochemical response within the body as well. So then, you know, they might get the sweat, so they might get frustrated or they might get angry. And those emotions are, I won't say that they're chemical imbalances, but they sort of are in a way. Yeah. They're, a, they're a chemical response to the thought process. Okay, so the thought process around what things mean and the stories that you've created and the beliefs that you have will trigger that neurochemical response in order to give you feedback when you're out of balance. Based on a perception, some deep shit going on here, mate. Just um, just to wrap it up because we um, I don't want to. Uh, it's big day and we've got a big day tomorrow. I guess the last question I, I would like uh, just this could go on for a long time, so I would love the shorter version of it. Sorry. But I relate to a lot that you've mentioned up here about labels. Like I don't know if you, I, I I got diagnosed with Asperger's when I was little, so I always got told I was fucking weird. I had no friends. I got never got invited to birthday parties, and I took a lot of that label on growing up. And sport was my way out of it because I was pretty good at sport, mate. Queensland, all that stuff. Um, that got me out of it but you are uh, you obviously got those labels when you were growing up that you had trouble learning but like you said today that you taught us about labels it's like labels it, it's bullshit it's just the, it's just what society's put on you none of that's true like you mentioned and again be distri- be as direct if you like mm. on this podcast but like around depression uh, Asperger's ADHD and all that stuff what is a label and like what's the truth of a label is it true like what is it well they I guess they are in a way but it doesn't define an individual Okay? It doesn't define anyone for anything. Something that I realized years ago was that everyone is born with a genius. You know, when I watch, so I've got a niece and a nephew, they're um, uh, five and three. They're expressing their greatness. From the moment that they're born, a child shows their greatness. And as they start to get a little bit older, if they want the cookies from the cupboard and mum and dad have put them up top on the up, up top shelf, figure a little kid um, tries to figure out how they can, how they can get it 
they will whine and complain. So kids are awesome negotiators. Great salesmen. Wicked at sales. Wicked at marketing because they'll market whatever they can to get what they want. They will use any sort of emotional manipulation to get what they want. They'll be watching and viewing and taking in information to try and figure it out. And they're highly adaptable. Now, if you think if most adults take, you know, I I think most adults think that kids are pretty unintelligent, but kids are probably more intelligent than most adults because they're adaptable and they'll overcome things and they'll figure it out. Sorry to cut you off. Keep going with this. But I I just love that quote. um, All kids are born geniuses, Mm. but we educate them out of it. Just, uh, it just, it just lines up with what you're saying. Like we're all born creative scientists, geniuses, but through society, we educate us out of it. So, yeah, just sort of throw that in there to what you are saying. But well, I, I'll give I, an example. So, my nephew has started school. Now, he's got a high value of movement. You can, I can tell that. It's not that i got to sit down with him and try and analyze his values, but he's got a high value of movement. Yeah. So, I sit down with him and I go, Jordan, let's do some coloring in. Now, my niece, Ella, she's three. She'll sit down and she'll color in for hours. I say, Jordan, come and sit down with me and Ella and do some coloring in. He'll do it for like five minutes and then he'll either beat up Ella or he'll throw something or he'll just run off and he'll go out the back and play. Now, it can be raining and pouring and he'll still want to go out the back and play because movement's important and he thinks when he moves. Now, if you put a person like that and and I'm one of those people, that's part of the reason why I can speak for 53 hours over four days at an event because I stand up the whole time and I walk back and forward and I move. Because I find that that's the way my brain functions better. I find it hard to sit down for long periods of time. And I can do it for limited time when I'm doing research and stuff I do. Um, But most of the time I get up and I walk around, I move around because it helps my brain function better. It opens me up to ways of thinking. Now, if you have a high value on movement and you get told to go to school where you're sitting down for, you know, two or three hours at a time or 45 minutes before you get to pick up your bag and you get the joy of walking to the next class for two minutes before you've got to sit down again for another 45 minutes, what's a kid like that going to do? Struggle. So they, he's going to struggle and start playing up, and then the school's going to go, okay, I think he has learning difficulties. Then he label doesn't, him and... Yeah, so he, it's not that he has learning difficulties. It's just that he can't learn when he's not moving. So why not give him something where he's more physical and he, he'll learn well? And that's why some kids do amazing in you know, building or... Um, when I was young at school, I think I was 14 when I built my first engine. So I got put into, lucky enough, there was a teacher at my school who knew that I was into cars and he said, Michael, we'll put you into grade 12 mechanics and you can do grade 12 mechanics. So I think instead of going to religion or something like that, I went to <laughs> year 12 mechanics and I built my first engine. Now, most adults can't build a fucking engine, but I built an engine when I was in like, when I was 13 or 14 or 12 or whatever. Um, now, that one teacher saw my genius, but other people didn't see that. So, you know, they put me in maths class and I couldn't even figure out why we even had to figure out what A equals or why the hell I'd ever use pi because I didn't, or what a hypotenuse was because I didn't give two shits about what it was. I couldn't see logically in my own head or in my filtration system based on my values, how that would be applicable to my life. Now I see it because I study, uh, you know, I do study a bit of cosmology and quantum theory and things like that. And those things are starting to come up and I'm yeah. going, crap, I've got to learn mathematics. <laughs> Um, I should have listened in class. But um, in saying that, I was reasonable at business mathematics because I could understand how money worked and things like that, which relates to my values even still to this day. I wasn't great at it. Um, English, I could write things, but most of the time, like writing a book report, my brain couldn't comprehend why anyone would do that based on my value system. But if they said, you know, could you write a note about, I don't know what my values were back then, I I couldn't tell you. But could could you write... 
um, five reasons or, or a, a couple of pages on why exercising is important, I could probably write that. So it, it, all, it all depends, but we've got a schooling system, which I understand. You can't have a million kids going through a schooling system every year and just have it tailored to every child. But at the same time, you know, it needs to be adaptable in its approach. And I was talking today, so we've got um, uh, one of the guys from uh, Rising Star Pitches who's here, um, and he was talking about people we were at lunch, and he was saying how he has a workforce of people who are almost on the high-level spectrum, like autism spectrum or Asperger's, and he said they sit there all day, and he said we have a whole team of people who, so they make motion pictures, so they've worked on Spider-Man and all that. Like um, Thor and Thor I had to Google that. He's impressive. impressive. Yeah. <laughs> so his what? team do all the graphic imaging for those things, um, the Hobbit and, and all that. Anyway, he said we have, a, we have people who their job is to specifically just make fur look wet. And so they don't do anything else apart from sit there for, you know, two years and ju- or a year and just make fur look wet on a tiger that they have to visually superimpose onto a movie. And he said those people, they their communication skills are very poor, but their their level of detail and their ability to sit there and use technology and create creativity is absolute genius. And he said, so I have to learn that that's their genius and they're not going to sit there and have a full-on conversation with each other in the lunchroom and hang out and want to go and hang out on weekends. They pretty much want to be left alone and not really want to talk to anyone, but that's not their genius. The problem with our society is those labels people put on them and they make them a limitation instead of realizing that a label is there to understand, not to define. So if I say someone has Asperger's or um, you know, they have autism spectrum, that helps me to understand that person, but it doesn't mean that that's the definition of that person. And unfortunately, the medical system, the schooling system, you know, the psychology industry and so on, um, as a whole, not all, all of them in the industry like that, but a lot of the time they use those labels like, you know, oh, you're a narcissist or, you know, you're this sort of person or you're that sort of person. They, they run around shooting these labels at everybody, um, which is just creating irresponsibilities for the person who's shooting the labels off. It doesn't help them to understand how to better interact with the person. Because for most people, they try to turn you into them because they think that their life is amazing and your life is shit, so therefore you should live like them. And I asked this question a while ago in one of my events. I said, who in here tries to turn their partner into them by teaching your partner how that they should live their life in a better way? And so you keep trying to guide your partner in an intimate relationship to understand how you think because you think you've got answers that they don't have. But at the same time, I asked the question, who in here gets pissed off with themselves, judges themselves and are critical on themselves and think that they don't have their shit together? And I said, so why would you try and turn your partner into you? It's a good question, right? It's deep. It's so why not try to understand your partner and their values and then help them to live their values? And if you're in a great intimate relationship through communication, they'll help you live your values and you both help each other grow and expand. But what most people do is they criticize each other about the way that you, the, the way your partner lives and then you try and give them advice but most of the time, most people don't even take their own advice. And then secondly, most people aren't fulfilled in their own life, yet they're trying to turn their partner into them. And most people don't even like themselves. They look in the mirror and criticize themselves. So why do you try to turn people into you? Just appreciate who you are as a person, love yourself, be inspired, live your values, and do what's right by you. And at the same time, you'll have a greater respect and a greater appreciation for others. You'll use labels to understand, not to define people, and then you'll just see other people as being great. And some people express their greatness more than others. 
That's like a mic drop moment just there. Um, mate, just to wrap it up, because I think we are pretty much at the end of it now, just to right. recap that, I love it how it said labels are just there to help you understand but not to define. Yeah. I, I use, I, I've heard other people like, other people like, like Kerwin, he says he uses them as superpowers. They're not, they're not limitations. They just help, under, like you said, help understand but do not define who you are. Mate, before we, um, before we do shoot off, I'd love for you, um, for people that are obviously, you, you're, you're so broad with your content and you go super deep with your stuff. Like you, you mentioned a little bit about the, the brain and the, the logistics of what you can go into. Where would people be able to find more of your content, sir? Cool. So uh, our website is www.themojomaster.com.au. So that's themojomaster.com.au. Um, Socials, are we Instagram, Facebook, same thing? Yep. So um, on Instagram, mojo underscore master. Um, for anyone who's listening in that wants to shoot me a message and say hi or, you know, send in the hate mail, yeah. um, <laughs> mojo underscore master, um, you know, all connections are appreciated. And and just to, um, just to tap on that, because, mate, because you're a busy man, you've got a lot of stuff going on, but every single message I've sent, I, I've referred a lot of my clients just to watch your stuff. Like every single message you've received from all of us, you're always all over it. You always get back to every single person. You take the time. You care about your audience. Like, you said today you came out to lunch with us like not many people when you go to events like these actually go out to the lunch with their clients so that's really mate guys for people that listen he takes the time um, and I've got the utmost respect for you mate um, any you. any other place where we can find you yeah so uh, on Facebook you can find me at the Mojo Master Coach um, so it's the Mojo Master with coach on the end of it so the Mojo Master Coach you can find me on Facebook as well again shoot me a message say hi um, that's it. We've got a national tour coming up as well. So I don't know when this podcast goes live, but there's a national yeah, tour coming up as well. Um, so I think tickets for the nighttime event are 27 bucks. Oh. Um, at the moment, I think the prices do go up, but um, you know, you can jump online and check that out at the website or jump on the Facebook page and grab them. Um, and that's called the power hours. So I'm going to teach people how to tap into their own mindset, not to just create motivation, but to create consistency in actions and behaviors that allow people to achieve more. And then during the day, I'm running a business and entrepreneurial event for high performers, and I'm going to be teaching a lot of skills around communication, not only how to communicate with yourself and grow in your own personal communication, because we communicate with ourselves in our own heads, um, but also how that communication then starts to convert in the way that you communicate with others. Um, I'm going to teach how to become greater leaders and lead better, including yourself, because Really, everything starts in us and then um, moves out. And, you know, there's a lot of communication courses that teach how to communicate better with others. But if you're still communicating and and your communication with yourself is crappy, then you're going to have crappy communication with others. 100%. Um, And if you can't lead yourself, you're not going to be able to lead others. You're only going to lead others to the level that you're at. Yeah. So I'm going to talk a lot about that stuff um, and talk some about the neuroscience and things like that so that I can help a lot of entrepreneurial people or business owners achieve more by tapping into their own uh, mental and emotional faculties um, and provide some of the science as well behind that into how to help them perform better and to make sure the people around them perform better as well. Wow. Mate, one more time, thank you so much for taking the time today. I know you're busy.